This is your host, Donna Barr, and welcome to A Bazillion Ghost Stories. Welcome to the Halloween episode. What I'm going to read you first is a chapter from a book that I originally thought was written about an incident that took place at Halloween, but it happened at Friday the 13th. Doesn't matter, there's ghosts in sheets and people getting scared in the course of it. So, welcome to Halloween. I'm going to read a chapter from my novel, Permanent Party is a fictionalized memoir about an incident that became notorious throughout the army. In fact, my husband Dan read about it before he ever met me. Now, in this chapter, there is language which I do not use, but it is true to what people used at the time. And some of it is quite ugly. And the character Liz Reuter is based on me. And I was naive back then. I didn't know a lot of things. I was 17, 18, 19 years old. And I had grown up in a little rural area out in the nowhere boonies of the Pacific Northwest. So I wasn't aware of a lot of things until I got into the army. And so you'll hear some language and some attitudes, but these are the kinds of things that happened. Also, that I have telescoped characters, I've changed their positions around. It is a fictionalized memoir. There are people in here that you won't know who they are, but that's not important to this, this particular episode, this chapter, but you can look them up in the book Permanent Party, and if you want to find a link to that, you just go to my bookstore at donabar.com. So, welcome to this particular chapter of Permanent Party, and what takes place one Friday the 13th. Just one more thing. I was recently watching the movies of Oscar Micheaux, a early black film director, and his wonderful movies, and watching the way uh, black people had to deal with their situation and how they viewed people who were well, they would say partially white, um, those terminology of the times. Uh, these were called race movies at the time. Um, they would seem extreme to me, except I saw the same kind of things going on and heard the same kind of very ugly language in the 19, early 1970s. So if you ever do get a chance to watch his movies, um, this is, I'm not going to say sanitized, but it's much more delicately approached than some of the language that actually happened. Chapter 16 Liz's plans of spending the evening alone were altered when Wolfer, catching up with her on the way up the barracks entry stairs, invited her to come spend the early hours of the night in the cube they had once shared. Liz accepted. She changed into civvies and went into Bay 10, where she sat down on what used to be her own bed and helped Wolfer share out a carton of cigarettes, a bottle of wild turkey, and a few lies. They were the only people at home in the Bay. On Friday the 13th, 
all the post theaters showed triple bill horror movies and few people would miss the chance to go get scared out of their skins liz didn't go in for the gore flicks and wolfer had a date with a young man who got off duty late so the two enjoyed the liquor and their solitude until the bitch box in the hallway crackled on specialist annabelle wolfer buzzed the cq's voice that'll be him said wolfer right here and ready she yelled out so the cq could hear her get down here said the cq your boyfriend's champing at the bit will do tell him to wait a minute thank you said the cq and the bitch box hissed off i gotta finish this turkey before i go see that turkey said wolfer you don't like the guy said liz why go out with him then couldn't call him names it's queer but he's nice queer homo wolfer said impatiently what are you going out with homos for i get a night out dancing he gets a girlfriend for camouflage in case anybody gets suspicious of him and there's no hanky-panky i gotta put up with huh not all hands and glands nice he's a good dancer and a good talker and real gentlemanly from chattanooga we have a good time it's a dutch treat of course so it's fair ask him if he's got a brother i'll do that you ain't the first one to ask that boy's getting himself quite a reputation as a Tennessee stud. Wolfer swallowed her heel tap and stood up to return the bottle to the wall locker, then changed her mind and threw the keys to Liz, who jumped and grabbed them out of the air. Help yourself to the turkey, said Wolfer. Just lock up when you leave. That's decent of you. Today was payday. I can afford to be generous because I'm going to go get fresh drinkables tomorrow. Never keep a bottle beyond its time. See you, girl. Have fun, Wolfer. Take care. Liz toasted her with the glass. I owe you. Damn straight. Wolfer went off down the stairs doing hen turkey imitations. Liz had only one half more glass of bourbon than locked up the bottle in Wolfer's wall locker. No use pushing her friend's generosity. She settled down onto the spare bed that Wolfer kept made up so she and any inspecting officer wouldn't have to look at the black and white striped mattress. Liz took a sip and a look around the bay ah the good old carefree days before she was a bay sergeant her contemplative mood passed into meditation then into a drowse and she only had to kick off her tennis shoes and roll up in the blankets to be comfortable she left the light on in the bay finding it easier to put herself in the dark by pulling the covers up over her head than by getting up to turn off the switch the extinguishing of the overhead light brought liz up out of her nap at first she thought someone might have come back and gone to bed then she heard the sound of water running in a latrine sink come one someone came flip-flopping back down the hall into the next cube over and rattled around in a wall locker that's barb's locker thought liz barb always turns off the bay lights and runs on the light from the hallway woman is a bat Liz almost spoke up, then subsided into a thoughtful silence. Barb had once told Liz that her mother had worked nights as a cleaning woman in a hospital. Barb's mom was unable to afford a babysitter, and had taken her daughter along with her on the graveyard shift. Barb had been the usual big-eyed, nosy three-year-old when she'd wandered away from Mama, turned on the light to the pathology lab's specimen room, and run even more big-eyed and screaming back to mama she'd come out of that with an everlasting horror of the things with no eyes that jumped at you when the lights came on 
Barb owned the only television in Bay 10, and when she and Liz watched late Friday horror movies in a dark and empty barracks, Barb just couldn't help pulling her feet up off the floor and tucking them under her. Even though there weren't really any monsters under the bed, when she did it, Liz did it too. Monsters under the bed were catching. Barb left the bay again, and Liz recognized the shuffle of her worn violet mules. Barb only put her feet into those once she'd pulled on her powder green nightgown, the one with all the worn places sewn with different colored threads. Liz imagined her slender, sharp-boned ankles scything along beneath the hem of the gown. Hearing her tramp downstairs, Liz got a sudden wild hair. She whipped out of the blanket, rolled under the bed, under the incomplete partition, and under Barb's bed, where she lay flat on her belly, waiting. The blood-brown linoleum floor was always cold, and she pressed her hands flat against it, willing the chill up into her bones. Her nostrils flared with contained excitement. Barb's footsteps came back up the stairs, down the hallway, into the bay, into the cube. Feet appeared at the foot of the bed, kicked off the mules, and padded up beside the head of the bed, where they stood for all the moment that Liz needed. Mouth open, breath held hard, Liz reached out one icy hand. Unable to believe she was going to get away with this, she held the chill fingers posed relishingly around the nearest ankle and gently gripped the sharp-cut bony joint. There was a choked gurgle. The feet went up straight into the air, and before Liz could make it back to her own bed, the feet had flown pattering out the bay and halfway down the main hallway. Liz rolled back under the partition, scrambled up into her bed, and threw herself into the covers, choking herself on her triumphant laughter. Barb would never guess, if she ever came back. Liz heard the slapping feet slow down, then stop. From the hallway came a strangled yell. Ryder! I'm going to kill your ass. Liz clutched the covers over her head, imitating sleep. Barb arrived on the run and skidded into the cube. Without a moment's doubt or hesitation, she yanked the blankets, the sheets, and half the mattress, Liz and all, off the metal framework of the bed onto the floor. Liz threw up her hands and feet, breathless with pain and laughter, while Barb tried to pound her with her skinny fists. No, a joke, Barb. Stop. I'll never do it again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Damn straight you never do it again. Barb stopped hitting and stood blowing at her instead. You almost drowned me, you sorry fool. I had a mouthful of coke. I could have strangled to death. Is that why you didn't yell? Sorry, I gotta disappoint you. I should beat your bones loose, you fucking crazy woman. She flashed a fist again at Liz, who ducked and helmeted herself with the pillow. I'm sorry. Damn straight. It won't do you any good beating me. Huh. You tell me about my feelings. I know what makes me feel a whole lot better. Punching you. But what'll you have then? Just me all bruised and broken hearted. Liz sat up. Nobody's back in the bay yet, are they? I don't hear nobody telling us to shut up. They're still out watching horror flicks, aren't they? Suppose so. Then they'll be primed. When they get back, let's scare them, Barb blinked. Some of them girls be big. I don't want my head broke. You want to be the only one that got scared? No, Barb shook her hitting hand. Liz took a key out of her pocket and held it up. Want some bourbon? 
he'll feel better. After they'd done draining what was left of Wolfer's bottle, Barb was ready to agree with Liz's plan for the ambush. All right, I suppose we could jump from behind the door. Let's do a Halloween, said Liz. Put sheets over our heads. Shit on that, said Barb. We gonna look like clan riders. Like what, said Liz? KKK? That's down south. Up here, sheets is just Halloween ghost costumes. Come on. Liz had a stack of extra sheets she'd scooped up accidentally on purpose from the supply room so that if she didn't feel like going down to exchange her bed linen for clean on GI night, she could make up her bed without going. She sacrificed two of her clean stock to the cause, handing one to Barb, who immediately threw it over her own head. I can't see. Let me cut eye holes. No, said Liz. I have to turn these back in some day. What would I tell Supply? You tell them we got rats. We haven't got rats, said Liz. We got skunks in the basement. Why not rats? Skunks keep the rats away. Wrapped to their eyeballs in sheeting, the two women were crouched behind the double doors of the bay when Sherman and the Fly came in. That's a Spanish girl called the Fly, because then it's Spanish Fly. Ha ha. At the sight of the two unknown specters that sprang out and yodeled at her, the Fly gave a whine and veered around into Sherman, who scrambled back confusedly and fell on her tailbone. The two ghosts, shrouded blind in their sheets as they were, would have been treated to a classic blanket party. Beatings through a blanket don't show the bruises. Don't ask me how I know that. If Liz hadn't unmasked herself and quickly convinced her two new victims, as she had Barb, that the only consolation for being made a fool of was to take it out on somebody else. Sherman and the fly fetched their own sheets, and the process of terrorizing each newcomer continued until everyone who called Bay 10 home had been duly ambushed and enlisted for the next ambush, always with the same poisonous argument. All the fire for taking out their feelings on their own innocent bystanders, Bay 10 went spooking over to Bay 11 to add the neighbors to the chain of revenge creeping around wall lockers and sliding across the floors to rise with wailings and ululations above the beds of the unsuspecting sleepers, some of whom awoke with frightening and unexpected vigor. Liz was leaning over such a victim when she was kicked in the stomach and thought about calling off the raid, but by then all the tens and elevens had their blood up. A silent foray padded off against the other distant end of the barracks, the domain of bays 15 and 16. The 16s were known for beating the crap out of suspected thieves and regarded anyone who came sneaking into their bay after hours as burglars, so the ghost attack was carried on against less warlike prey. Bay 15 was Big Bird's Bay, full of those combustibles who had set off hysteria the day of Mary Talbot's miscarriage. It would have been wisest to leave them alone and not risk their jittery temperaments. What in Bays 10 and 11 had only caused momentary dismay and subsequent hilarity resulted in Bay 15 in an eruption in a howling half-witted panic. Big Bird led the stampede that went romping down the hallway, shrieking bomb threat and fire and men in the barracks. 
the disorder spread hotfoot to the third floor until everyone in the barracks was galloping upstairs or down angrily searching for the source of the turmoil or trying to escape it not a few were glad for the excitement and did their best to add to it dashing about at full speed and flicking those lights which were functioning on or off whenever they passed one the racket could be heard in the main post barracks where the fort lewis wax turned out on their own lights and hung out the windows trying to figure out why those damned formaldehyde medical idiots over there were screaming their heads off at an hour when proper legitimate working people were trying to sleep some responsible soul ran downstairs and reported to the duty nco that the madigan barracks was either burning down or under attack by whom who knew the duty nco stepped out back and stood pensively staring up at the madigan building watching the lights flash on and off she saw no flames and smelled no smoke but the cries sounded portentous the lights were still out in the black in the back compound and she didn't like to go out there since those telephone threats had started against the company cadre and they were threats from women wearing a uniform in that deep bricked in dark out there might draw lurking crazies from behind the dumpsters and the reserve barracks with a sudden inspiration of decision the duty nco turned on her heel and went back to the cq room where she picked up the phone and called the post mps by the time the white hats arrived and were waved back toward the madigan barracks the excitement had settled down the mps had expected the problem to be just another bomb threat in which case they would shoo everyone outside to wait in the dark while they had a quick search around the building these searches always took a while liz had once fallen asleep during a bomb threat sweep snuggled up against the curve of the front street wrapped in her blanket while she waited for the mps to clear the building this time no one could tell the white hats what the problem might be only shrugging and grinning stupidly when asked and snickering behind their backs while they walked frowning through the hallway big bird followed the mps at a distance frowning and doing a mockingly officious rooster walk they didn't even turn around to catch her they probably knew she was doing it and did, weren't going to bother the mps were on their way back downstairs when they were met by a knot of black women coming up the stairs and saw that one of them was so weak she needed to be supported under the arms the mps paused to ask if she had been hurt the staggering woman was jackie can't dance lamar who was holding a puffy black eye with one cautious hand and wiping off a dribble of blood from a split lip with the other barb who held one of her arms turned and backed the mps off of course she been hurt she snapped she went around in the dark downstairs and fell against the radiator how you think she gonna look hitting her face against them heavy old pipes with all these sharp edges go on we take care of her jackie shook her head and tried to speak but barb hustled her on don't run your mouth woman we get you upstairs at alcohol wiped up and put you to bed i'll get you some ice for that fat lip the mps were content with that explanation and went on down the stairs liz had overheard barb and went tailing after the knot of women around jackie but stopped short when they entered bay eleven barb went back down the hall to the kitchen to fetch ice the women who were still in the hallways drifted off toward their rest and liz went back to her room for a cigarette 
leaving the door open. When she heard Barb come slurfing along in her sloppy mules, ice carefully wrapped in a washcloth, Liz stuck her head out and beckoned to her to come over. Barb responded sullenly and stood glaring suspiciously at her. Barb, what really happened to Jackie? Didn't you hear me? I said she fell. That isn't what happened. I saw her face. She looks like she took a beating. Did get beat, Barb admitted reluctantly. She'd been down on the first floor. You know they ain't never, never no light down there. And she got jumped in the dark. Idiot, why didn't you tell the White Hats? It never do no good to tell the pigs. They just drag everybody in and listen to nobody. They can't help and don't want to help, especially in this case. Why not? Liz asked wonderingly. Because it was a bunch of white bitches got her. Did she see him? That honky skin glow in the dark, snapped Barb. You sure don't mistake it. You know Mary was living in Bay 11, which is a black bay, when she had her little accident. So, Jackie here wasn't hit by accident. Them white bitches called her a nigger baby killer. Jesus Christ on a crutch. Is she, is she all right? She bruised up pretty bad. Nothing broke or cut. They just knocked her down for the count. Hey, we got to tell somebody, Barb. This is getting out of hand. Yeah, who we tell? Captain Kidd? Top? Huh. We can go to the IG and whimper a little his way, but he's just going to put it in a file and lose it. You got problems in the barracks. You take care of yourself. If anything go wrong, you just S-O-L. The army not at fault. Uh-uh. No way. It's your own ass, honey. Tell it to the chaplain. Now, let me be. This ain't gonna keep all night. Barb wheeled around and flounced off to Jackie's bay, slamming the door behind her, despite Liz's attempts to call her back. Liz stood looking at the door for a moment, then went into her own room and locked herself in. She turned off the light and went over to the open window, where she leaned her elbows on the sill and stared off across the street. Liz was too wakeful for sleep and thought about going for a walk. She'd stay in the open, moonlit places, perhaps even go out on the parade field, which was nearby and attainable, without her having to pass through shadows. Fort Lewis had a safe parade field, not like Fort Gordon in Georgia, where there had been so many attacks in the parade field it was known as Bloody Barton Field. But to get to the Fort Lewis parade field, Liz would have to go through the dark rear compound, because the front doors of the Madigan building were all permanently locked. Wait a minute, she thought. What about the cedar tree? Leaning out the window, Liz noted that the dry swords of the lower branches ringed the trunk almost to the ground. She could easily climb down and back up that ladder, Anybody could. Anybody could climb up to the window of the room in which resided the only representative of military authority on this end of the floor. She was a mere base sergeant and an acting jack at that, but she was part of the chain of command, and whether willing or reluctant to hold this position, she might still be viewed as a target by someone who felt too closely pressed by the army. And was especially unhappy with Mary being retained in the army and wearing that uniform and was looking for someone to work out a grudge on. Liz slammed the door window shut and backed away from it. She'd go down tomorrow and see if she could euchre the supply sergeant out of a hammer, 
and a handful of nails without explaining she wanted to nail the windows shut. If she could get a saw, she'd prune off the lower dead branches of the cedar. The poor overground tree needed it anyway. And here I want to add a modern note, 2022. The girls over at the Morbid True Crime podcast say about the number of times that people get murdered because they've left their windows open. Fresh air is for dead people. Before you leave, if you want to get this podcast a few days early, join me at patreon.com slash Donna Barr. And if you want to find more about what's going on in my world, just look for DonnaBar.com, where I've got links to everything. Bye. A spooky...